I'm so grateful for Thrive Services. I'm grateful to our leadership for uh, creating a midweek service for us to just be energized and experience God's uh, power in our lives. And so uh, we're so glad that you're here with us tonight. Uh, unfortunately, like last week, I do not have nutcracker socks like Pastor Kerry, uh, so I'm sorry to disappoint there. Um, but I do have, if you will allow me to share it, I do have my favorite Christmas story from childhood to share. Is it okay if I share it with you just to start us off tonight? It's a good one, I promise. It does involve Santa Claus, so if, uh, if that loses anyone here, uh, we'll see you next week for Thrive. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Santa Claus does make an appearance. I do believe that uh, in our Thrive teachings, he will uh, make another, uh, I think we're gonna cover that uh, before it's all said and done, so we'll sort it out when that comes up. But uh, I have to share this, as Andrea's heard this story uh, dozens of times probably. This is one of my favorite stories. It revolves around uh, my dad's best friend to this day, whose name is John Lewis, who I'm actually named after. He's my namesake. And if there's one word to describe uh, my dad's friend John is that he is just, uh, if you've heard somebody described as fun-loving, that is John Lewis. Like, he just, he loves to laugh. He is a bit of a prankster, which, like some other people that I know that will remain nameless, uh, but he likes a, a good practical joke or a good prank. Uh, and throughout his relationship with my dad, uh, so my dad graduated high school and like two days later started at a machine shop, worked 30 plus years at the same place with, with John as his best buddy. And throughout the course of that employment, uh, they had a Christmas, uh, a, a staff Christmas party every year. And one year when I was about four, five, six, that preschool range, uh, John Lewis was actually Santa Claus at that time. Uh, and I wanted this not age-appropriate remote-controlled car that was like, giant, it had like rubber studded wheels, it was insanely expensive, and my parents rightfully so said that is not a present for you, preschool John, we'll wait a few years on that. So as legend has it, I went to the, uh, I went to the, the staff Christmas party and waited in line to talk to Santa Claus about my want of this remote control car. And uh, so as, again, as legend has it, before I even got to, to John Lewis, Santa Claus, uh, he says, hey, John, come on up here. And I'm like, he knew my name without me. To, like, this must be the real deal. Like, it's really happening. Like, we're gonna do this. So I get up, I sit on uh, John Santa's lap. Hey, what do you want for Christmas, John? And I go at length, uh, kind of like Ralphie in A Christmas Story and tell him all the details about this remote control car that I want. My dad's across the room, so he sees and he knows John as Santa Claus and so John, I, I don't know this. This is how I imagine it in my head now as a, as, a, as a grown man. John pauses a minute, looks up at my dad, kind of smirks, looks back at me, and he goes, John, you're gonna get that remote control car. <laughs> and my dad knew the jig was up because he said from hit now, shifting the perspective to his side, he said my eyes got as big as saucers, and I got so excited, and I ran over and said, Mom, Dad, Santa Claus said I'm gonna get that remote control car. And my dad says, he whispers under his breath, I'm gonna kill that John Lewis. And I imagine as I'm running back toward my dad that John pulls the beard down. <laughs> you know? That's my favorite Christmas memory. 
uh, as a kid, and I'm sure had we but world and time, we could go around the room and, and talk about our favorite Christmas traditions, our favorite Christmas story. But what I want to focus on for just a few moments tonight is the idea that we have these traditions, we have these, uh, you know, we put out all the decor, we put up the lights, we, we hang the ornaments on the tree, and I don't want us to gloss over and, and, and fast forward over the most important part of Christmas. And I wanna focus on the depth and the awe that we can, that we can be in over th just this idea that God came to earth in the form of the person of Jesus Christ. It's so important for us to continue over and over to remind ourselves of the depth and the gravity of what happened that we celebrate in Christmas. And so I get this giant question of what is Christmas all about? And just like Charlie Brown, I'm gonna answer it as Linus did with scripture. So uh, if you've got your Bible, it's on the screen. I'm gonna start in Matthew chapter one, verse 18. And this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, her husband, was, Joseph, sorry, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus, I'm so appreciative of Pastor Kerry last week talking about the idea that there is Christmas in the Old Testament and, and the fulfillment of all of those prophecies in Jesus. And tonight I just wanna focus in on one snapshot of one of those prophecies that he talked about last week in Isaiah 7, 14, that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. And then again, as I just read in Matthew, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. There's so much power in the understanding that Jesus, that God came to earth in the person of Jesus to live among us in flesh and blood. And I just wanna focus in on that tonight. As we mentioned last week, there's an immediate context that this is understood but aren't you thankful that the word of God is living and active and is still applicable to our lives today and there's still power that can be found in these scriptures, amen? So tonight I wanna to examine this idea. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Say amen. Amen, okay, you're still with me. But what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does that mean to us? And I just wanna explore that tonight. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on a couple of uh, theological concepts. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time in these and I'm gonna get your agreement in, uh, beforehand with a little disclaimer. We're not going to leave this place with a full-scale, comprehensive, doctoral understanding of two gigantic theological concepts, okay? Is everybody okay with that? It will be shorter if you agree to this, so say amen, yes. 
I see that hand in the back, yes. But knowledge is great, and, and, and I've heard Pastor Sam say this, and our leadership believes in this, we don't check our brains at the door. We wanna be people who are intelligent. We wanna be people who know the word of God, and we wanna know it. But the reality is this, is that, that we, aren't gonna, we aren't gonna fully understand any of this. I love uh, in, in Ecclesiastes 11.5, or 11.5, it says, just as you cannot understand the path, or of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. There are certain things this side of heaven we're just not gonna be able to grasp, okay? So we're not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna bore you with all of that tonight, okay? So, uh, but I, I read this uh, in the last couple of weeks as I was studying for this, and in a commentary it said, the, the, the birth of Jesus is a miracle like all birth is a miracle, and it is meant to be adored, not pried into. And, and, and I'm not saying that every baby that is born is like the, the immaculate conception of Jesus through Mary, okay? That's not what I'm saying, but I do want you to understand it like this. When you have, when a child comes into the earth through the miracle of birth, everything has changed. Can I get an amen from all of our parents or grandparents or anybody who's had kids? Everything changes, guys. I hesitate to even say this. I I used to think I was pretty pretty cool. I like I thought I thought I was with it. I don't know. Like I I thought I was all right. I thought I was doing okay. Uh, and then and then we had a son, and I now have videographic evidence that I am in fact not cool. Uh, as we watch videos of like our trip, our recent trip to Disney, my voice hit a pitch that I didn't know I had getting excited about Mickey Mouse coming down the street because my son was excited about it. Like, that's not cool. Like, I used to be cool, and because he's there now and, ex and, and excited about it, so am I, and made myself very uncool. We bought uh, a Mickey Mouse hat that was for Disney World. I wear it, like, all the time now. Uh, it's a dad hat. It is not flattering whatsoever. I used to be cool, but having a kid changes everything. I now painstakingly try to hold on to scraps of paper that he's scribbled on. I'm usually a pretty neat guy and I throw everything away. There's nothing on my desk in my office, but I've got all these scraps of paper that I keep because he, he scribbled on them, he wrote on it. Having a, a child changes everything, but let me, let me explain it to you like this. Not knowing all of the science behind genetics and how Andrea's DNA and how my DNA mix to give him her nose and my eyes and my hairline and her temperament. Uh, <laughs> oops, I had a good run. Uh, the fact that I don't know all the science behind what makes him and what's the genetic makeup of him, just as I don't know how all of that works together to make him, it no less changes my ability to love him and adore him. You see what I'm saying? So when we come to the birth of Christ, we don't have to know everything. He's meant to be adored because he did it, because he came. I'm glad I got your agreement on that. It'll be a much shorter night. I just wanna give you two quick definitions, two concepts. The first one is this, is the incarnation, which is the idea of God in the flesh. And as far as the definition goes, it says, uh, I wrote this down, the only son of God begotten before all the ages of one substance with God the Father was made flesh through the Holy Spirit 
and the Virgin Mary, making him truly God, truly human, possessing two natures, not confused, changed, divided, or separated. There will be a quiz at the end. You can pick it up and, uh, and fill it out and email it back to me, uh, and I will be grading all of them. No. You see what I mean? We don't need to, what we need to understand is that God, fully God, was here in flesh and dwelt among us. That's the Cliff Note version, okay? Do we still have, Cliff Note's still a thing? Yeah, okay. It's probably all online now. I told you, I used to, it used to be cool. Uh, John 1, 14, verse 16 through 18 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but get this, the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Can we take a minute and think about how significant it is that God sent his son here to show us what it looked like for God to be here on earth? Just let that sink in. Other, there's no other God who has done this. Like the, the idea that he would, he would demean himself, he would humble himself and come into our space and time. That's this idea of Jesus is a flesh and blood representation of God on earth. We used to wear the bracelet that said, what would Jesus do? Like if you've ever wondered what God would do in a situation, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me in John 15, you have seen the Father. He was a representation of God on earth. He gave us the perfect example of what it looks like for God to walk through your situation. Let that sink in. And this idea is, uh, and this is another one that I love, I'm just gonna throw it out there, but the second concept is, it's called the hypostatic union. That's a, it's a good one for your quiz that's coming up. It's the idea that deity and humanity existed together at the same time. Another, another definition, dual natures of humanity and deity united in the, pers the person of Jesus Christ, not mingled or confounded. It's, uh, Jesus' physical body was a vessel that held his humanity and his deity at the same time unmixed. Like, ah. This is a terrible example, but I'm gonna use it anyway, so don't poke too many holes in it. If you put water and oil in a bowl, like a punch bowl, they don't mix, right? So you've, you still have water, you still have oil, and they kind of separate, and you still have a you know, Tupperware punch bowl or whatever it is. But when you dump the oil and the water out, you still have a punch bowl and oil and water all over the floor. But those three things don't mix. The, the idea of this hypostatic union is that when Jesus' deity and humanity came into the vessel of the, the body, it didn't make a new thing. Those three things stayed exactly the same. So it's important to understand that Jesus didn't, uh, he wasn't a different kind of human. He was human. He wasn't this strange substance that we know not of. He, he looked and talked and breathed and, like us. It's important to understand that, oh, well, because Jesus was in this situation and acted that way, well, he was fully God. Well, he was fully human, too. 
So it's important to understand theologically that, that those things didn't create a new substance together. They remained separate and intact all at the same time when Jesus was here in space and time physically. Deity poured into humanity. Still good. Everybody's good. I'm almost done with the part. I'm almost done with the quiz part. So we're almost there. But we don't have to understand all of this to worship the God that came and did this for us, okay? So don't forget that. I like to think of it this way. We can worship and adore his deity because he's God, but we can take comfort and rest in his humanity. You have a God that is not above and unattainable to you because he came and lived and walked so that you could come to him and he would understand what you've been through. That's God with us. God came down to be with us. Look at Philippians chapter two, and I wanna continue on with this, but I wanna focus on God with us for a few moments. Philippians 2, an incredible passage of scripture. Philippians 2, 5. In your relationships with one another, Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ made himself nothing. In very nature, God poured himself out into humanity. Are you, getting, are you seeing that picture the way that I am? He emptied everything. He, it was an act of humility for God to say, I am here, I'm going to come there to you because he loved you. He humbled himself. A way I like to say it is he condescended to us. And we hear that term a lot of times when we think of it as a negative thing, but God said, I'm going to lower myself so that I can be with you. I love that, I, I, I just, I love that thought and, and it makes me think of, uh, uh, it's an interesting example, but it makes me think of money and I've talked about this before. But I love that God uses money and our monetary system to teach us dependence upon him and his provision and how he can, uh, how he can use us and uh, he can use money to teach us stewardship and how he owns everything and how he, he uses something as dirty and disgusting and gross as money. I, listen, I'm, I'm gonna out myself here. I am an original member of the germaphobe club. I, money is, is disgusting. Like paper money is so gross. And, and you guys are all like, okay, well then I won't, I'll still take the money. I just wash my hands a lot. I used to, I used to work, uh, I used to wait tables and I would handle money all the time and I washed my hands thousands of times a night. I'm, I was way ahead of the hand washing curve trend. Like pre-COVID, I was still that guy. I'm sorry, you can judge me if you want. Uh, but I love that God takes something as as gritty and dirty 
as money to teach us a gigantic concept about how he provides for us. See, as we give and, and, and we steward what he gives us with this physical, tangible thing that we can touch, we're learning and we're growing and we're growing in him because he's using something that we have and we can touch and we can see and taste if we had to, even though it's covered in germs, to teach us a giant concept about who he is and what he can do in our lives. And in, this, in, a, in a somewhat same way, he says, I can come into your life, into humanity, into dirt and grit and grime and mess to teach you what I'm like. And for those of you who are, you guys are like, well, I'm credit card people. Uh, my, that thing's covered in germs too, just so you know. But I, t- <laughs> I told you it's a sickness. Like I, I have a thing. But I love this idea that that God condescended and came to us in human form. And, and it extends even, and this is, I wanna spend some time on this. It extends even to the idea of your emotional status, your emotions that you experience. And maybe you haven't thought about this before, maybe you have, and, and I know a lot of people deal with lots, of, we say it all the time, our son has big emotions. Like people just, you deal with a lot of things, but you don't think of God as dealing with those things. You, you can nod your head if you feel comfortable with that. Like do you, have you ever thought about that idea? I wanna, I wanna walk you to a place in scripture where God in Jesus experienced difficult emotions. But before I do that, I wanna, have you ever talked with somebody, have you ever been going through something and you talk with somebody that you know remotely has no idea what you're going through and has never dealt with that before? Like, have you ever experienced that? It's terrible, isn't it? Right, like you're talking to them and you're like, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Because I can tell because you're not having, it's a funny example and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna out us, Andrea, but when we have always had a, a passion for working with married couples and we're so grateful to uh, our leadership here for giving us an opportunity to, to have the Young Marrieds ministry and it is literally a dream come true for us and it's something that we have wanted to do for a long time and a long time as in like as soon as we got married. We are like, we really feel a heart to work with married couples and we wanna sit down across from the table of people who've been married for a long time and tell them everything we've learned in the six months that we've been married. <laughs> and we are like, that's not gonna work. And we still don't, you know, we don't know everything. We haven't figured it all out, obviously, but it comes across a lot better when you have a little bit of experience, right? Hopefully. But the reality is you have a savior. You have a God who has experienced all of those things. And he metaphorically sits across the table from you and says, see how I did this, follow me in this. I want you to think about this for a minute. You can turn there if you want, John chapter 11. It's not in your notes, it's not on the screen. And a lot of us know the story where Jesus, uh, Lazarus has died and, and Jesus, uh, Lazarus is Jesus' friend and he's died and he's uh, experiencing emotion over the loss of his friend Lazarus. And uh, in John eleven thirty three, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, which is Mary, Lazarus' uh, sister, 
and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept in verse 35. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. How many of you have read that story before? You've, you, you've memorized John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, I got my memory verse for the week. I've read that, I'm good. If you have a goal of learning more scripture or memorizing it, it's a good one to start with. Jesus wept, you did it. I've read that a bunch of times. It says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And I, you know, again, you don't think of God, Jesus, having emotions. You think, oh, he was, he was moved. He's probably like, mm, yeah, I'm a little sad about this thing that's just happened. But if you look at the, at the scripture, if you look at the text, I read this uh, as well. It says the word rendered here doesn't mean sighed or grieved, but it says rather powerfully checked his emotion, made a visible effort to restrain tears which were ready to gush from his eyes. The, the term troubled isn't like, oh, he was, he was troubled by this. The trouble was that he was trying to hold his emotion in. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had trouble controlling his emotions? Have you ever had trouble controlling your emotions? Have you experienced that? Maybe, you, maybe it was at the loss of a loved one. Maybe it is at, at something that a son or a daughter or a spouse is going through. Did you know that Jesus experienced that same emotion, that same feeling of not knowing how to handle what's happening to him. And guys, he knew how the story ended. The deity part of him knew that he was going to Lazarus to raise him from the dead. That's why the, the, the doctor, that $10 hypostatic union word, that's why it's so important to understand that those things didn't create a new being. He was living in flesh. And his flesh, the human part of him, could not could not contemplate or could not understand what was happening to him emotionally. Even though he knew the end of the story, he knew that Lazarus was gonna come forth, right? But his body was still human. His emotions were still there. I'm here to tell you tonight that God chose to come into the mess of this world so that when you have a similar th feeling or you have a similar emotion that you're experiencing, he says, come to me and I can walk through that with you. He's not sitting across the table as someone who hasn't experienced that. There's a, 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 a phrase of scripture again that I've glossed over a lot of times that comes up over and over again in the gospels that says uh, in Matthew 9:36 is one example where it says, Jesus seeing the crowds was moved with compassion moved with compassion. And again, you read past that and you're like, oh, it's Jesus. He walked around with a smile on his face all the time. He didn't deal with anything. He was God. Moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, that they were, that they were on the wrong path or they were harassed or they weren't taken care of. It moved him deeply. The word actually there rendered means it, it without going too far into detail, it it hurt him in his stomach. Like it gave him a pit in his stomach is one way to say it. Uh, a feeling that distressed him so much that he felt it 
in his, in his gut. Jesus had pain because he was so moved at people who were lost and dying and going the wrong direction. Have you felt that? Did you know that Jesus has felt that? You look at a, again, look at a wayward son or a, or a spouse or someone that's not following Christ or that has followed him and, and gone away and it hurts. Jesus said, I, I know, I've been there, I've seen that. I know what it's like. Jesus was called a man of sorrows. He feels, he experiences the deepest of your emotions. I'll go so far to say this. You will not experience something that Jesus did not experience. He's been there. And he knew that you would be there. And he said, I have to go so that I can show them what it looks like. He chose to do that for you. And he invites you to come and learn from him how to walk through that. He's God, he's with us, but what does that mean now for us? What does that mean for us? How do I react in a personal way to the Christmas story, to the idea that Jesus was incarnate? That, that how do, What do I do with that now? I'm always struck by this idea that Jesus was called teacher by his disciples or rabbi is another way to say it. And let's not forget again that when we read the scripture, it has an immediate context, but it also has an eternal context for us, okay? So, so when they're calling him teacher or rabbi, it, it was tradition, uh, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. It won't be in the quiz, don't worry. Uh, but traditionally, the, the, the rabbi, you would, you would go to a rabbi and, and request or apply or whatever to study under him, and then he would choose whether or not you could be a part of that. Jesus went the other way, because you see him going to his disciples and saying, you come with me. And I love the idea that Jesus chose us. He chose his disciples. He's still saying to you and to me in an eternal context, come and learn from me. I think that you can do this. And I've showed you the way to do it. John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. You see this pattern. Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you follow me and you ask for things in the name of my Father, you'll bear fruit. He says, you can, you can do this. I believe that you can do this. Since the beginning of time, God chooses you. And the fact that he came into the dirt and into the mess to show you how to do that is confirmation. That's the exclamation point on that sentence that he chose to enter into this mess so he could show you what it looks like. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I wanna, I'm, I'm coming in for a landing. It gets a laugh out of my wife every time. If you got your Bible, or, or, or it's gonna be on the screen, Matthew 11. Uh, verse 28 through 30, kind of puts a nice ribbon on this. Hey, 
Christmas package. Puts a nice ribbon on this. Jesus has come to me, and we've heard this. It's familiar. Some of us could quote it. It's a comforting passage. It's familiar. But I want you to look at it in a little different light tonight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Everybody just take a deep breath and just... Probably shouldn't have done that in the era of COVID, sorry. Didn't think of that, sorry. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I love this passage because God, through Jesus, came to earth and said, I think you can do what I do, and I'm gonna show you how to do it. But he says, come to me. And then the next command is, take my yoke upon you. So it's come to me if you're tired. Take my yoke upon me, on you, is learn from me. Learn to do it the way that I did it. And if you, it's an agricultural term that yoke is, but if you, if you know what that means, it's when they would you know, put two oxen together to pull something heavy or whatever. But, but you, would, you would be yoked into that apparatus and, and go the same direction to pull something heavy. And Jesus says, come, stand next to me and walk the same direction as me and I'll shoulder that load. Because I've, I've been there. I know, I came and did it so you could know how to do that with me. Do you believe that Jesus came to show you how to live? Do you believe that you can do what he's called you to do? That if you walk the same direction as him, if you put that yoke upon him, on you, he'll shoulder that load with you. I'm gonna share this passage of scripture with you in a different translation. And I don't say this lightly, but uh, when I was a kid, uh, when I was a teenager, my youth pastor read it, uh, read this passage that I'd heard hundreds of times. Well, not then, but I had heard before in the message translation. I don't use the message translation a lot, but there is a, there's a phrase in this passage in the message translation that literally, I'm not exaggerating, changed my life. And I wanna share it with you. And uh, tonight, uh, we're gonna read that together. I wanna share that with you. It says in the message, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's the, one of the most bizarre translations you'll hear, but it spoke to me. And it, it, many of you know that uh, I'm a drummer and, and, I, and I play drums. And by the way, tonight we're joined by North Point Worship. They're gonna be leading us in worship tonight. We're very excited about these guys uh, tonight. We're so blessed uh, with our, our worship team and, and with North Point Worship, but... I'm gonna, I'm gonna peel back the curtain for just a minute and I ask permission from Pastor Drew on this so I'm not giving away insider secrets or anything. But as a drummer, uh, this speaks to me. And, and if you notice, you'll look up, these guys are wearing these, you know, these earpieces or, or monitors that, so that they can hear what's going on. 
And again, this is not insider trading or insider secrets of just peel back the curtain just this much. But in that, in that earpiece, there's something known as a, as a click track or a metronome. Some of you, if you were forced to play music as a kid or learn piano, the mom would put the metronome right on the front and it just went. And as they're playing, that click just keeps going. And as they play their own individual instrument, the one guiding force is that droning on and on and on. And as they play their individual instrument and they line up with that one constant North Star, everything else creates this beautiful symphony. And as a kid, I hear, I hear this and, and, and what I love is when I hear rhythm that speaks to me, that makes sense to me. The idea that, that Christ coming to show me how to live is a rhythm that if I constantly line up with his example and the way that he showed me to live and I play my instrument with that one steady beat that he can take it and blend it in with all the others. You heard Pastor Sam this past Sunday talking about what is your gift? What do you have to give? And as long as we stay in line with that rhythm, he can create a beautiful symphony with all of our gifts together. And it spoke to me as a kid, the unforced rhythm of grace. And I love that the word unforced is in there because the longer I play with that click, it starts to fade into the background and it's no longer forced. It's natural. And Jesus, God in the form of Jesus came to the earth in dirt and grit and gross and said, I want to show you how to do it. And you can follow me to the point where it just becomes routine. Tell you when I when I play up there, uh, the click is the loudest thing in my ear. I always want to make sure that is the top thing in my ear, because as long as I follow that, I'll be on track with what He has for me. Do you have that in your life today? Do you have that north star that you're constantly looking at? Because the story of Christmas is that God sent His Son to show you what that looks like. And tonight I want to encourage you that a couple of ways, and we're gonna, we're gonna go into a time of worship here in just a minute. But I want to encourage you to learn how to do it from the one who shows us the way and the truth and the life. And he invites us and he says, come and learn, walk with me. Let me show you how to do it because I've already showed you the way. So as we uh, transition into a time of worship, I want you to think about a couple of things. First, I want you to dwell on that idea that Jesus has experienced anything that you will, have, will experience or have experienced. And as we worship, as you worship his deity because he is God, I want you to take comfort in his humanity. I want you to worship him because he's worthy, but I want you to take comfort in the fact that he's been there. 
and we're gonna have uh, prayer partners and, and elders or pastors up here. And if you wanna pray with them, that's great. But as you worship, worship him because he's been there and he can walk through that with you. And also, I want you to, metaphorically, I want you to start to turn that metronome up in your ear and get into the word this Christmas season and, and get into the, those, the, the gospels and look at how Jesus handled himself in all situations. Paul said that in that verse in Philippians, have the same mind as Christ, thinking of everyone as better than you and humbling yourself.